Welcome to the Kotke Ride Home for Thursday, December 16th, 2021. I'm Jackson Bird. Today, it turns out those pesky spotted lanternflies have changed the local honey in Pennsylvania, and it's kind of good? Plus, the FDA has approved eye drops that fix age-related vision problems, and one company is trying to prevent new staff turnover by letting them see what the job is really like using VR headsets. Here are some of the cool things from the news today. If you live on the East Coast of the U.S., especially in Pennsylvania or New York, you are no doubt very familiar with the spotted lanternfly. Or maybe you remember me mentioning it back in September when governments of both states were basically issuing kill-on-sight orders for the invasive insect. We've known that its method of draining the sap from over 70 different species has been a threat to many different industries. The spotted lanternfly has been known to destroy apple trees, cherry trees, hops for beer, grapevines that produce wine. That's when critics say New York State really started caring, when the spotted lanternflies started affecting the vineyards. The lanternflies even threaten the exact type of tree that is the titular one in the 1943 novel, A Tree Grows in Brooklyn. And now, beekeepers have realized that the spotted lanternflies have changed the local honey. And it turns out that tree from Brooklyn, Alanthus altissima, better known as the Tree of Heaven, played a key role. The Tree of Heaven is one of the spotted lanternflies' all-time favorite snacks, so the Pennsylvania Department of Agriculture thought it would be the best candidate to inject with pesticide targeted at the spotted lanternflies. As the flies tried to eat the tree's sap, they'd ingest the poisonous pesticide. Quoting Atlas Obscura, In a 2017 research project at Kutztown University, Penn State University Assistant Research Professor and Apiculture Specialist Robin Underwood had found that a small amount of pesticide was detected in spotted lanternflies honeydew, the sugary excrement left behind on trees, leaves, and other surfaces by insects like aphids and scale. If honey is essentially bee vomit, nectar consumed and regurgitated by honeybees, honeydew is basically bug pee. Honeybees, which are attracted to this sweet residue, had been observed on honeydew-coated test trees, but none of the toxin was found in honey, wax, or worker bees in hives stationed nearby. Underwood detected no pesticides in the 2019 honey samples, but she found something else. Allanthone, a bitter chemical produced by trees of heaven to inhibit the growth of surrounding flora and make the plant taste bad to predators. Additional testing confirmed the presence of spotted lanternfly DNA in the honey. Here's what experts think happened in 2019 and 2020. As spotted lanternflies feed on trees of heaven, they consume allanthone, excreting it in their sugary honeydew, which collects on the bark of trees. Honeybees tend to go for the most readily accessible food source, so when there's not much blooming in late summer, the same time of year adult spotted lanternflies run amok, bees collect their sweet sugary honeydew as if it were nectar. That uncommonly bold flavor? It's likely the expression of allanthone, passed from tree to spotted spotted lanternfly to honeybee, end quote. And the honey they're creating? It's dark, reddish-brown, and very thick. Beekeeper Don Shump said it had a maple-bacon aroma when he first encountered it, but a robust and smoky taste. Technically, Carla Marina Marchese, founder of the American Honey Tasting Society, told Atlas Obscura, because it's derived from insect honeydew and not flower nectar, it's actually a honeydew and not honey at all. 
Quoting again, an experienced taster can compare characteristics such as flavor, aroma, color, and texture to establish sensory profiles of different single-origin honeys to narrow down nectar sources. This sample was thick and viscous, like molten glass, a characteristic of honeydew. The flavor didn't match honey made from the nectar of Tree of Heaven flowers, which is lighter, with notes of grape, lychee, and passion fruit. The Pennsylvania product tastes fruity, but more like a dried fruit, a fig, maybe a date, Marchese says. It has a really warm note of confection or caramel. It was really earthy and intense, says Philadelphia baker and butcher Sarah Thompson, who blends it into butter and drizzles it over the moist yet crisp crusted biscuits she sells under the name Tall Poppy. I thought it tasted like wet leaves, like when you walk through the woods in fall. Her co-workers, seasoned cooks and smelliers, picked up the bourbony, barrel-aged notes, and customers commented on how well the honeydew's flavor stood up to the richness of the biscuits. End quote. And that beekeeper Don Schump has added spotted lanternfly honey to his lineup, calling it Doom Bloom and putting a black skull on the logo. My kind of vibe. He says the spotted lanternflies, while obviously a concern for hops and vineyards and other species, might actually be a net positive for beekeeping. Quoting once more, Unlike honeydew produced by aphids, the spotted lanternfly honeydew gathered and stored by bees is low enough in ash content to serve as an excellent cold-weather food source. This supports healthier, stronger hives, which can better withstand parasitic mites, a much more dire threat. He compares the situation to Japanese knotweed, an invasive plant whose nectar makes delicious honey. We're taking advantage of a bad situation, he said, end quote. And one more interesting note here, so variations in honey are super common. This doom bloom may not come back in future years if the state finally gets the spotted lanternfly situation under control, but it would definitely always be in the fall. Variation from season to season is normal as changes in weather and therefore plants in bloom affect nectar, etc., but human-caused variations can happen too, usually accidentally. Atlas Obscura gave the example of some Brooklyn honey that was tainted with Red 40 food dye when the bees dumpster-dived some syrup from a maraschino cherry factory. And there were some bees in France that actually made blue and green-colored honey because they kept eating M&M shells. Yeah, who needs flowers when you've got M&Ms and maraschino cherries? No matter how good your vision is when you're younger, as you age, there's a higher chance you're gonna need glasses eventually. This is thanks to a condition called presbyopia, or basically age-related farsightedness. It tends to kick in around people's 40s and is caused by a loss of elasticity in the eye's lens, leading to trouble focusing. The muscles that control the lens also get weaker, affecting the incoming light on the retina. Most people just pick up a pair of reading glasses at the store or upgrade their existing glasses or contact lenses to bifocals. There is technically an FDA-approved surgery, but that's not usually people's first treatment step. But now, the FDA has approved the much less invasive option of once-daily eye drops to correct presbyopia. Called Vuity, the eye drops take effect in about 15 minutes and last for 6 to 10 hours on both close range and intermediate vision, which the New York Times notes is important for computer work. Quoting Gizmodo, The active ingredient in Vuity is pilocarpine, which is often used to treat dry mouth because it stimulates the production of saliva, but it also causes the eye to reduce the size of the pupil's opening. Like reducing the size of the aperture on a camera, this increases the eye's depth of field, resulting in more of what's seen being in focus, including close-up objects." 
Viewity is available by prescription as of today, but is not yet covered by insurance. A month's supply will run you $80, and doctors told CBS News that it's unlikely to be covered by insurance since glasses are a less expensive equivalent option. But apart from not having to remember to bring reading glasses along with you everywhere, the eye drops also free you from the annoying habit of taking them on and off again to see further away, since it doesn't inhibit your distance vision at all. Well, at least under normal daylight conditions, Viewity does warn people to use caution when driving at night or performing hazardous activities in poor lighting. The drops also work best in people aged 40 to 55 years old. There is a marked drop-off in efficacy after 65. For now, the drops are being viewed as another option to have, not a full-on replacement for reading glasses or contacts. But some of the 750 trial participants have been raving about the eye drops. During the trial, the eye drops helped them to be able to read three or more additional lines on an optometrist's chart. And one of the participants, Tony Wright, told CBS News that it was, quote, definitely a life changer, end quote. In a video segment, Wright showed CBS one particular problem the eye drops solve that I've heard from a lot of frustrated people, not being able to put eye makeup on without glasses on. How are you supposed to do it if you can't see what you're doing without your glasses on, but with them on, they're in the way? I mean, okay, contact lenses already solved that problem, but it's cool to have another option that requires a little bit less of putting fingers in your eyes. One drop of a solution in each eye every morning, instead of trying to remember to bring glasses with you everywhere, might not be for everyone, but sounds pretty cool to me. With the great resignation ongoing, a lot of companies are getting more and more creative about recruiting. Some are doing the good long-term strategy of offering better pay, benefits, and working conditions. Others are strapping VR headsets on applicants so they can virtually try out the job before they decide to accept the offer. Though actually, it doesn't sound like too terrible of an idea. MGM Resorts is rolling out VR experiences for its customer service roles at employment centers and career fairs. The idea is to show people what the job is actually like, more so than their previous day-in-the-life videos or chats with current employees could really do. Laura Lee, MGM Resorts' chief HR officer, told Business Insider that she absolutely expects that some people will no longer want to take the job after trying out the immersive VR experience. And that's kind of the point. They're trying to reduce turnover from people who accepted without realizing how tough the job would be. Hospitality has been one of the biggest sectors losing employees, so MGM Resorts wants to make sure applicants know what they're getting into and are completely willing before they join the team. They say that the VR experience will include things like difficult guest interactions. Because for all that we could critique MGM Resorts for maybe needing to focus on making their work environment better rather than being game to show applicants how bad it is before they commit, there's only so much you can do about the growing number of rude customers. So really, showing job applicants the truth and introducing them to ways to handle it and showing them how the company would support them, I'd say that's pretty good. And using VR wouldn't be a requirement for applicants, just something they're offering if people want to try it. They say they're particularly excited to use the VR feature at their first casino in Japan because it's not just MGM Resort's first casino in Japan, it's the first casino in Japan full stop. So a lot of the applicants might be more unfamiliar with what the day-to-day -day tasks are like. Now what's a little weirder to me is that Walmart has apparently used VR experiences developed by the same firm MGM Resorts is using to determine whether employees should be promoted to middle management positions. Because nothing 
nothing makes middle management more appealing than having to show your boss how you do your job in a clunky virtual environment. Well, here's a fun thing if you have kids or, you know, just like fun. Alexa has brought back its Santa Claus voice. Just ask your Alexa device to enable Hey Santa, and then it'll be Father Christmas himself responding to you for all of your ordinary Alexa commands. You can also ask him more Christmas-themed questions, like if you're on the naughty or nice list, which leads into a series of questions to determine which list you are on. The Verge notes that Amazon has reskinned Alexa's voice with celebrities' voices in the past, like Melissa McCarthy, Samuel L. Jackson, and Shaquille O'Neal, and Santa has even appeared before too, but this seems to be the broadest rollout of Santa's voice yet. He can do almost anything Alexa can. For example, The Verge says that he can flip a virtual coin, but not roll a virtual dice. And going along with the this-isn't-just-fun-for-kids sentiment, try having Santa play music from Korn or Insane Clown Posse or whatever else it would be hilarious to hear Santa Claus say in his jolly voice. And yeah, the one thing I'll say is that Santa is actually a really appropriate collaboration with Alexis since his M.O. is already seeing us when we're sleeping and knowing when we're awake. So no extra privacy and surveillance concerns here. And in other fun Christmas news, if you, like me, were planning on re-watching the Christmas episode of Ted Lasso this holiday season, you now have an additional option for tapping into some wholesome, holiday-tinged AFC Richmond content. Yesterday, Apple TV Plus released a special Ted Lasso animated short. It's called The Missing Christmas Mustache, and it's a delightful four-minute story with the whole main cast done up in CGI to look like those Rankin and Bass claymation characters from all their classic Christmas movies. So, yes, Roy Kent looks exactly the same as he does in real life. The main cast lent their voices, and it's just a real fun watch. Family-friendly, too, since they censored all of Roy's lines with gift-wrapping bows. So check it out at the link in the show notes. But that is it from me for today. As always, this show was produced by Ride Home Media and Kotke.org. I am Jackson Bird, and I will talk to you again tomorrow.